Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn in them to Psalm 134. We've called one another to worship from it. We just sang it. Now we're going to read it again. You could say I memorized a psalm at church this morning. Psalm 134. It's our last psalm in our sermon series on the Psalms of Ascent. Psalms 120 through 134. So we've made it to the 15th psalm in this series. Psalm 134. This is God's holy, inerrant, and authoritative word. A song of ascents. Come. Bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Let's pray. Spirit of truth, we pray that you would come now and apply the word of God, to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, again, we've made it to the top. If you've stuck out through all of these psalms, we have found a very encouraging and strengthening group, a collection of psalms in the Psalter. These 15 pilgrim psalms describe the journey that the ancient pilgrims would take as they would travel to Jerusalem up to Mount Zion for the annual feast to worship God. And what began in the lowly, desolate place of Kedar in Psalm 120 now ends at the pinnacle, at the very top, Jerusalem, where God's people have gathered together to worship and to receive the forever blessing of Yahweh. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I've enjoyed preaching through these psalms, and they've been very encouraging, and I hope they've been encouraging to you. Let me encourage you to read these psalms and use these psalms devotionally in your walk with the Lord. You can visit our website and catch up on the sermon series and also find there some other resources that we've encouraged you to use to help you grow in your walk with the Lord. So let me encourage you to do that. But now back to Psalm 134. Let me just ask you, what is it that drives you? Why do you wake up in the morning? What is your purpose, your main purpose in life? What is the purpose of life in general? If someone were to tell you that tomorrow you would wake up and your life would be radically different, that you no longer have your family, your friends, your job, all of the securities that you hold dear, what would you do? How would you cope? What would be your purpose in life? Well, Psalm 134 is going to tell us. So let's pay attention to God's word. This psalm is a, a call to worship. It is a call for God's people to come together and to praise his holy name. It is a call for us to realize 
that the most important thing in life is to praise the Lord. This psalm is also a benediction, though. It has a blessing for us, a blessing from God. And so our focus this morning as we look at this passage is going to be two points. We bless the Lord, and He blesses us. We bless the Lord, and He blesses us. Look with me in verses 1 through 2 as we see that we are to bless the the Lord. Again, these first two verses specifically are a call to worship. And the very first word that you see there in your Bible is the word come. It literally means in Hebrew, hear or behold. It's in a sense saying, pay attention. For those of us who grew up maybe hearing the King James Bible read, you may have heard that, lo. Can you imagine the old pastor going, lo. If you have an NIV version of the Bible, you may have noticed this has been left, left out, but that's okay. That word is there, and it means to come. It means to behold, be ready to worship the Lord. That's why most times in our worship services, we begin with a call to worship from Scripture. We are calling one another to worship the Lord. We also sing songs as well that call us to worship, hymns that draw us to the Lord, hymns that teach us that we are sinners, that we are poor, that we are wretched, that we are needy. And so we come to worship. The second word that you see there in this passage in verse 1 is the word bless. The Hebrew word for this word is barak. It is used three times in this passage. And so when the Bible uses a word or repeated, repeats a word, it's calling us to look at the importance of the word in this passage. Barak means to bless or to pronounce blessings or to give praise or to give thanks, to extol. The verb barak used here in this passage, it's in the imperative. It's commanded. It is imperative, it is important that we participate in this blessing or this praising of the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but it seems just kind of odd to say that believers are, or worshipers are to bless the Lord, because doesn't He bless us? We, we need Him to bless us. We need his favor to shine upon us. But in the amazing grace of God, he calls us to bless the Lord. We get to bless the Lord, and this gives him pleasure. And the Lord delights in us. Eugene Peterson says this call that we bless the Lord, it describes what God does to us and among us. He enters into covenant with us. He pours out his own life for us. He shares the goodness of his spirit, the vitality of his creation, the joys of his redemption. He empties himself among us and we get what he is. That is blessing. We bless the Lord. 
Another thing that we note here in Psalm 134 is that the covenant name of God is used five times in this passage. I've said before, but it's worth repeating. When you see in your English Bibles, capital L-O-R-D, that is an English convention to show you that this is the proper name of God, Yahweh or Jehovah. And his name is used five times in this passage. We're not just talking about any God. We're talking about the God, the triune God of the Bible, the Lord of heaven and earth, the one who came down in the form of a man who died, who gives us his spirit. This is Yahweh. Yahweh is the covenant, the personal name of God. It's his relational name to distinguish him from any other false gods that that God's people may go after. It is his name that is packed full of theology and promise, for his name says, I will be your God, and you will be my people. I am Yahweh. And we've studied before, but again, worth repeating that Jesus makes an astonishing claim in John chapter 8, where he says, before Abraham was, I am. And so we find in Scripture that Jesus is Yahweh. He is the almighty God of the Old Testament. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. So this highlights in this passage that there is deep concern by the psalmist for the glory of the Lord, for the glory of Yahweh God, and that the every moment passion of believers, of of worshipers, is to worship, is to praise, is to adore Yahweh God. So these... God-exalting words that we read, that we are studying here in Psalm 134, they are a reminder to us, and they remind us that worship, it's not about you, it's about God, the Lord God, Yahweh, and praising His name. We are to adore Yahweh and him alone. But too often, our ideas, our man-centered ideas about worship look like they are focused on everything but Jesus. We easily resort to a result to man-centered and me-centered worship. This is very easy for us. It is our natural sinful state. But this psalm reminds us that we must pray and that we must call one another to worship, to praise God, to exalt God, to glorify the Lord God. And that must be our passion. That must be our main purpose to do this day and night, the psalmist says. And when we call one another to this worship, when we pray for one another to have this God-centered worship, it affects us. It moves us away from ourselves and helps us to pray. It helps us to focus in church. It, it helps us on who and how we worship, how we work, how we parent, who our friends are. Everything 
calling one another to bless the Lord, God centers our lives. This matters for the purpose of life. The purpose of life is to bless the Lord. But this also matters for church. Why are you here this morning? Getting out of bed on Sunday mornings and coming to church, and well done for an 8.30 service. (laughs) It's hard. It's difficult. And we have to realize that as we roll out of bed this morning, as we come to church, that it's it's not about you. We don't come to worship this morning because the youth ministry is cool. We do have a cool youth ministry. We don't, you don't come to church this morning because they're going to have wonderful child care programs for my children. They do have wonderful child care programs here. We don't come to church because the Sunday school leader is funny. And we don't come to church because the pastor remembers your name. And please don't hold me to that. I'm trying. Wear your name tag. (laughs) We come to church. We come to worship. Because it is about praising the Lord. Blessing the Lord. And if you're here visiting this morning, or you've never been a part of a local church, let me encourage you and challenge you to be a part of a local church that worships the Lord and Him alone that centers its worship upon the teachings of Scripture and worshiping the Lord according to what Scripture teaches. But for you personally, if you're here this morning to have your felt needs met, then you're in the wrong place. Because this morning we are going to worship the Lord, to worship the triune God of the universe and to bless Him and to take all the focus off ourselves and put it all upon Him. Because coming here this morning is not about us. It's also not about just coming to hear the sermon. Because many of you in this morning, and trust me, I used to be like you, so I can, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to convict some of you this morning. You've, you felt like you came to church if you pay attention to the sermon. We, we all think that. But I would argue, <laughs> I would challenge you, that although the preaching of the Word of God, what we're doing right now, is very important, and I want you to pay attention. <laughs> the other elements of worship are equally, if not more, important. As we read Scripture together, as we sing, literally praise the Lord with our mouths, that is what we are called to do, to bless the Lord, to worship Him. Maybe you're discovering right now that you're going to church for all the wrong reasons. And if that's where you found your place this morning, ask the Lord by His Spirit to change your heart. And to give you a new heart to praise his holy name. We see in verse 1 that the psalmist is so concerned with the praise of Yahweh God. That even while there is sleep in the city, 
Even while the people are resting, worship goes on. The psalmist is serious about worship. His concern carries into the night. You serve as the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Keep praising his name, the psalmist says. Those who stand by night in the house of the Lord are probably the Levites carrying out their priestly duties in the temple to ensure that proper and holy worship continues, that it goes on even throughout the night. But this is not a point that I just bring up here to say, oh, isn't that neat? Because no, we don't have Levites here attending the worship service. Because the scripture says that you, that we, are a kingdom of priests. That we lead one another. That we are vigilant to one another to bless the Lord at all times with all of our lives. In verse 2, we see something that is very strange to our Presbyterian eyes. In verse 2, there is a posture to worship. Psalmist says, we lift up our hands and bless the Lord. There is a, a posture here, a posture of prayer, a posture of praise in worshiping the Lord. Lifting up our hands is not necessarily to be a novelty in church. If you lift up your hands here at Cornerstone, we don't have ushers who will come and usher you out the door. (laughs) So go ahead. (laughs) Because lifting up our hands and praising the Lord is a visible outward response. Perhaps something the Holy Spirit is doing inwardly. Listen to these other places in Scripture that speak of this. Psalm 28 Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. Lamentations 3. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. And in 1 Timothy 2. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. There's a posture to our worship. It is Godward. It is God-centered. It is not slouching. It is, it is not moved. Our worship is to be lifted up. But what if you don't feel like praising God? What if you're here this morning and you're just like, I do not feel it. I am not engaged. What if, you're, what if you're tired? What do you do when you, you can't worship? What if your parents made you come this morning and get out of bed? What do you do? Again, Eugene Peterson is helpful here. You can lift up your hands regardless of how you feel. It's a simple motor movement. Hand, lift up. You may not be able to command your heart, but you can command your arms. Lift your arms in blessing. 
just maybe your heart will get the message and be lifted up also in praise. There's a a posture to our worship. We lift up our hands and we praise the Lord. I've been reading some very deep theology this week that I want to share with you. Don't let the colors in the train fool you. This is extremely profound. It's a story I like to read to my children about Ferdinand the train. And I want to read to you a little story time here. I hope this is a good way to put you to sleep. <laughs> the first story here, the, the inventor's best invention. Once upon a time, there was a very, very clever inventor who made a wonderful railway engine. It was brightly colored and shiny. It was a steam engine, and it was the best thing that the inventor had ever invented, and he had invented many wonderful things. He had made the track on which his trains ran. It went through tunnels and over bridges, up hills and down valleys. It had many stations, and the engine could draw trucks and carry the cargo back and forth between them. This railway engine was so special, it even had a name. It was called Ferdinand. Everybody who saw it and who knew the inventor would say as they saw it pass, you can tell the inventor made that engine. Isn't it beautifully made? What craftsmanship, what lovely design. Ferdinand was made to run on those two rails on the track. Sometimes as he steamed along, he would look with fascination at the green fields full of daisies or cool rushing streams. But if he ever tried to get off his track, he would get himself into terrible, terrible trouble. Because railway engines are made to run on rails. While Ferdinand did what he was, hap- was made to do, taking things from station to station for the inventor, he was happy and all was well. The inventor watched him from the window of his inventing house and was pleased with what he had made. Ferdinand was a, tra- was a train. And as we all know, as the story said, trains are made to run on railroad, tr- railroad tracks. And he was always going to be happy as long as he was doing what he was made to do. As Thomas the Train fan- fans might say, he was a useful engine as long as he was running on the tracks. You see, for us, as believers, as worshipers, worshiping the Lord is not an option. It's not an option for believers, and it's not an option for non-believers. It is what we were made, it is what we were created to do. We're only going to be happy. We're only going to be satisfied. We're only going to have purpose in life as long as we are doing what we were made to do. I think one of the most beautiful expressions ever penned outside of Scripture is from the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question number one, which asks, what is the chief end of man? Or what is the purpose of man? It is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Or... In the words of Psalm 134, what is our purpose? 
to bless the Lord. We can never praise the Lord enough. It is what we were made for. It is what we are designed for. Worshiping the Lord with God's people gets us to focus off ourselves and makes us focus upon the Lord and what Christ has done for us. This is why we need to be together on Sunday mornings. This is why we gather together as the church, as the people of the living God, to bless the Lord. We were made for this. But worship is to never stop. Life is to be about praising the Lord, blessing his name. We bless the Lord. And the second thing we see there in verse 3 is that he blesses us. We bless the Lord, and he blesses us. Not only do we participate in the worship and the praising and the adoration of the blessing of the Lord God, but in turn, as we have all experienced, he blesses us. This is a benediction. God has pronounced and is pronouncing his blessing. He has commanded his blessing upon his people, and we receive this blessing. That is why we... I encourage you to hold out your hands at the end of the service when I pronounce the benediction because we receive God's blessing. But notice the continuation of the theme from Psalm 133 that it's from Zion that God's blessings come, that his favors come from Zion. Why is this? Well, we know that is from Zion, on Mount Zion, that Jerusalem is situated where the temple of the Lord is, where the blessings, where the sacrifices, where the praisings take place, and where God extends his favor and mercy and grace to his people. And we know that years and years and years and years ago, that it was from Zion that the greatest blessing that could ever be given did in fact come in a place called Golgotha on Mount Zion. It was a blessing that was once and for all and that continues to all who believe. It is the blessing of a once for all sacrifice where a man, the God-man, was lifted up and he was crucified. Our Lord Jesus It is the blessing that the Apostle Paul explains precisely in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The God who made the heavens and the earth is the God who humbled himself by becoming a man by dying on a cross so that the blessing of the Lord would flow down to his people. Interesting to note in verse 3 that the word blessed there, Barak, in Hebrew you would notice that it is used in the singular. That means the blessing is for you, you personally. The Lord bless you. The Lord bring his blessings upon you. Derek Thomas says the blessings of God 
finds you wherever you are, whoever you are. The blessing is for you. You who struggle with sin. You who are in doubt. You who are in pain. You who hate yourself. You who think you are not good enough to come to God. You who are struggling this morning to worship and to pay attention and to praise the Lord. This blessing is for you. Because the Savior has secured it for you. And that is what this psalm is about. That is what life is about. Praising the Lord, the triune God of the cosmos. It's about Jesus, who says, I am Yahweh, and we are to praise him. Derek Kigner says this, to bless God is to acknowledge gratefully what he is, but to bless man, God must make of him what he is not, and give him what he has not. Let me repeat that. To bless man, God must make of him what he is not, and to give him what he has not. Isn't it wonderful that the Lord has poured out his blessing upon us in Jesus Christ? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Or again, in the words of Psalm 134, our purpose is to bless the Lord. But it doesn't stop there. May we do so every day. May the Lord bless you. And he has blessed us. Let's pray. Father, we freely confess to you that oftentimes we treat life and worship about us. We are very me-centered. But Father, thank you for the wonderful reminder here from your word that all of life and worship is about you. Lord, help us to bless you. And thank you, Lord, that you have blessed us. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.